All right, I think we're all in place. Let's, let's bow our heads. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this cool morning. We thank you, Lord God, that we can come together and praise and worship the mighty God, our creator, our redeemer, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. We can go on and on and sing your praise. We thank you, Lord God, that words cannot contain how awesome you are. We thank you for this gift that we have, that we can come together to worship you, to hear from you, gather together in your name. And so, Lord, we pray as we get into your word, pray, Lord, your Holy Spirit would stir in us and speak to our hearts, teach us, mold us, shape us, Lord God. And we lift this time to you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Now, I don't know if you've heard this before, but a common misconception about Christianity and the Bible is that a lot of people think that it's all about rules. Have you ever heard that before? Rules, rules, rules. All Christianity is, all the Bible is, is about rules, right? Who likes rules, right? A lot of people, when they think about Christianity, the Bible say, I don't need anybody or anything to tell me what I can and cannot do. A lot of people get tired of that, of hearing what I can and cannot do. I don't know if you've noticed, but no one seems to like rules except the people who make them. You ever notice that? Right? People don't like rules until they're the ones who make the rules, and then making rules is kind of fun. If I was to poll everybody here who still lives with their parents or is under their, their supervision, right, their authority, if I was to poll them, what is your least favorite thing about living at home? What would they say? I would imagine rules is on the top of the list, right? If I was to ask, especially this crowd, or some of you are scattered here, what do you like least about living at home? They'd probably say, oh, my parents made me do this. We have this rule. We have that rule, right? No one likes rules. Well, children aren't the only ones who don't like rules, right? Adults we tend to like not favor rules too much. We don't like rules that kind of inconvenience us, puts us out of, you know, it just makes our life a little bit more complicated. We don't like rules that don't seem to apply to us, right? When I pull up in a drive-thru, why do I have to ask for a straw? Isn't it obvious by the drink that I ordered, I need a straw to drink my drink? Why do I have to ask you for a straw? Well, those are the rules, right? There's all sorts of rules that we get tired of. But the reality of truth is that rules are a necessary part of life. Rules are there in place to help govern and establish a standard that's for the betterment of everybody, right? For the betterment of many. We have these rules in place so that we kind of set a standard, hopefully some values. And along with rules, we develop traditions, right? Traditions are like these expected ways that we, we go about doing things to kind of help perpetuate these rules, help perpetuate these standards, these values, these qualities. Maybe your family has some traditions. You do things a certain way, and you've been doing these things a certain way for years, 
really to help uh, perpetuate values of maybe family time, right? How many of you have family traditions? You do things every year together. You do it because you want to spend that time together as a family, right? So we have these rules and traditions in place to help perpetuate these kind of standards, these values for the betterment of many, right? But what happens when traditions and rules no longer seem to apply? What happens when those rules lose their effectiveness? Some of you parents, you're approaching, if not already there, you see that in your family, right? When those rules lose their effectiveness or they no longer seem to apply. Now, last week we saw Jesus. He was at Matthew or Levi's home. And he was there with the tax collectors and the sinners. So he was there with Matthew, who was once a tax collector, but turned follower, disciple of Jesus. And we saw last week how Jesus laid out the heart of his mission, his ministry, why he came, the purpose of the cross. And we're going to look at that in the next few weeks. But Jesus came to call the sinners to forgiveness and repentance, right? He came to replace the old with the new. He's not about patchwork fixing, but he's about complete transformation in us. So he lays out this picture of why he came, the purpose of the cross, to call the sinners to repentance, to offer a complete change in their life, not just this patchwork stuff. We're going to pick it up in Mark in chapter 2, verse 23. Mark 23. It says, and it came about that he was passing through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples came to make their way along while picking the heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, see here, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Now here we see Jesus, we don't given the setting or the time of when this is taking place, but we see Jesus and his disciples walking to the grain field on the Sabbath. And in Matthew's account, we see that the disciples were hungry. So they're picking the grains off the wheat fields to eat. And so the Pharisees see this and they ask Jesus, why do your disciples do what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Now, before we get into an explanation, do you get the sense that Jesus is under intense scrutiny? That he is being watched every word that is said Everything he has done is being scrutinized. And so the the Pharisees, they see the disciples walking, they pick the grains field, they're asking, why are you allowing them to do what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Now let's take a little bit of background on why they were making it an issue or a point. Some background on the Sabbath. Now here's a trick question. Anyone know the first mention of the Sabbath in Scripture? You can show show of hands. You don't have to say it out. You can think to yourself. The first mention of the Sabbath specifically was when God provided manna for the Israelites while in the wilderness. In Exodus 16.29, it says, See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, he gives you bread for two days on on the sixth day. Remain every man in his place. Let no man go out of his place on the seventh day. So the, the Israelites, they were, they were complaining about food. 
So God provided manna miraculously. He said, I will provide it for six days of the week. And on the seventh day, you are not to pick up or gather any manna. On the sixth day, I will give you ample enough food for two days. Don't do any work on the seventh day. I appreciate this about God. That he gave enough food for two days on the sixth day. So that on the seventh day of rest, they don't have to worry about food. You know why I appreciate this? Because, you know, I don't know if you, you have a day off. You don't have to worry about anything. But the most stressful thing sometimes for me on my day off is, what are we going to eat? What are we going to cook? On my, on my day off, do we have to cook? I think it would be a little stressful. And I appreciate that God said, you know what, on the sixth day, I will give you enough for two days so that you don't have to worry about the next day. So you see that the Sabbath was a reminder of the Lord's provision and deliverance. The Lord instructed Moses to keep a portion of the manna throughout your generations that they may see the bread that I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. So he instructs Moses, save some of this manna and let it be a reminder of how I provided for you, how I delivered you out of Egypt. We see that Sabbath also was rooted in the six days of creation because on the seventh day, God rested from his creative work. We know that in Genesis. On this basis, God gave his people a day of complete rest. And notice in Exodus 16, 29, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. God says, I'm going to give you this day of complete rest. We're going to see Jesus points this out a little bit later. What else about the Sabbath? We know honoring the Sabbath was one of the four commandments directed to the Lord in Exodus 28 through 11. Exodus 8, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male or female servants, or your cattle, your sojourner who stays with you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So he made it a specific commandment to the people. You are not to do any work on the seventh day. Not you, not even your sons and daughters. So fathers, you can't say on your day off, all right, kid, why don't you do all the work for me? No, 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 no. The whole family, even the servants, even the cattle, give your cattle a rest. I don't know if any of us can practice that today. I know we don't have cattle, I don't think. I don't think we can take a day and give our cars a rest. Maybe our cars would need that rest, right? The Sabbath was also God's sign of his covenant relationship with his people. Exodus 31, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, But as for you, speak to the sons of Israel, saying, You shall (coughs) surely observe my Sabbaths. For this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies you. 
Verse 15, for six days work may be done, but on the seventh day there is a Sabbath of complete rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath shall surely be put to death. Verse 16, so the sons of Israel shall observe observe the Sabbath to celebrate the Sabbath throughout their generations as a perpetual covenant. It is a sign between me and the sons of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, but on the seventh day he ceased from labor and was refreshed. So the Sabbath was more than just a day of rest. It was a sign of God's provision, his deliverance, and his relationship with his people. Here's a sign of my covenant relationship with you. A day of rest from all the work. What I love about this is that it was God's gift to his people. This day of rest is my gift to you. Now, some of us, I guess, our Sabbath, some of you, your Sabbath may be a Sunday, right? Your day of rest. It's a gift from God, that day of rest. Some of us, and especially here in California, Southern California, we're used to this kind of busy, hectic lifestyle schedule, right? Even our days of rest is not restful. And I think God, brilliant of God, he says, look, let me give you a gift, a day of rest. Just rest. I think we don't appreciate that gift from God. That he wants us to have a day to stop working. Don't worry about all that stuff. I know you clocked out on Friday or whatever day it is. Let this be a day of rest. And we don't get that today. Even on Sundays, I think we do Sundays wrong. Right? Sometimes, especially today, you know, parents today, family life today, it's so busy. I've talked to people before that Sundays in church just means different for people. Sundays have meant different things. It used to be Sundays was church day, right? I remember growing up and, and going to church. I went to church in the morning. And I didn't go home till Sunday night. All day was church. But these days now, it's like we have to fit God in to our schedule, even on Sundays. Our family lives is seven days a week, just busy. And we forget God is giving us a gift of rest. But rest is also more than just doing whatever we want. Notice this day of rest is saying, let it be a reminder of you of what I've done for you, how I've provided for you. See, sometimes we just think of Sunday as just a busy day. We go to church, we, we serve, we worship, we do all these things, and then it's just like the rest of the day we just do nothing but what we want to do. And sometimes we can neglect honoring God in our day of rest. I have to work on this myself. That on my day off, on my day of rest, that I'm still saying, God, I'm remembering you, honoring you. Reminding myself of how good you are, how you've provided for me. So in our day of rest, not just doing, relaxing, watching a game or going to the park, but take that time to honor God. Remind yourself of how he's provided for you. 
what he's done for you in your life. Now, in this time of Sabbath, there were two specific prohibitions issued by God on the Sabbath. The people were to refrain from laborious work, heavy labor, and then they were not to kindle a fire at home. Two provisions, I'm sorry, prohibitions by God on the Sabbath. Now, over the course of time, the question arose, what do we consider work? Well, the Jewish law expanded over the years from the written law of Moses to include oral teachings and traditions passed down from rabbis and their teaching. So from this teaching about the Sabbath particularly, what is considered work on the Sabbath, we have 39 categories of Sabbath work prohibited by law. And we're going to go over each 39 prohibitions. I'm just kidding. We're not. Look at these prohibitions. Carrying, burning, extinguishing, finishing, riding, erasing, cooking, washing, sewing, tearing, knotting, untying, shaping, plowing, planting, reaping, harvesting, threshing, winnowing, selecting, sifting, grinding, kneading, combing, spinning, dyeing, chain stitching, warping, weaving, unraveling, building, demolishing, trapping, shearing, slaughtering, skinning, tanning, smoothing, marking. 39 different categories of what is considered work on the Sabbath. You lost me at five. But you can see this is the tradition that became to be. So by the time of Jesus, all these laws pertaining to the Sabbath became entrenched tradition. This was the law on the Sabbath. You cannot do these sort of things specifically. So when Jesus is walking with the disciples and they see the disciples picking the heads of grain, there was grounds for the Pharisees to say, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Here's what Jesus says, verse 25. And he said to them, have you never read what David did when he was in need and became hungry? He and his companions, how we entered the house of God in the time of Abiath, Abiathar the high priest, and ate the consecrated bread, which is not lawful for anyone to eat except the priests. And he gave it also to those who are with him. So Jesus responds their question with the story of David. If you read 1 Samuel chapter 21, verse 1, David is a fugitive. The king Saul is out to kill him. So David and his men are running for their lives. And David seeks the help of Ahimelech, the priest, in the city of Nod. Now, David wasn't forthright with with Ahimelech. When he came to Ahimelech looking for help, looking for food and for weapons, he told him, well, I'm, I'm being commissioned by the king. I'm going somewhere for the king. And he's asking for food, for help, because his men are hungry. And the priest only had the consecrated bread, the showbread, or in other words, the bread of the presence. And this bread was reserved for the Lord and the priests. This showbread was a perpetual reminder of God's provision. So it was put in the tabernacle, and it was placed there. And every Sabbath, fresh bread was placed in the tabernacle, and the old bread is taken, and only the priests are to eat of this bread. 
So this special bread was a reminder of God's provision in the tabernacle. So we assumed that this bread that was already replaced on the Sabbath and was there, and so the priest was going to give to David the consecrated bread, the bread that was only supposed to be eaten by the priests. So what happens in the story? Saul eventually finds out that David was helped by this priest. And so he goes to this priest, and he has ordered that all the priests and their families are slaughtered and killed. And they were all killed by King Saul, except for Abiathar, the son of Ahimelech. David finds out, protects Abiathar, and he became the priest during David's reign. So Jesus references this story of David. And he responds to the Pharisees citing this example of the priest showing kindness to David on the Sabbath with this consecrated bread. Now, without sounding irreverent, Jesus is pretty slick. Clever. Man, he does he know people's hearts. Why do I say that? Saul was condemned Ahimelech, his kindness, and did evil by killing all the priests and their families. The priest did a kind act, an act of kindness, and yet Saul killed them all. And so certainly the Pharisees would not want to be associated and guilty of a lack of kindness, even on the Sabbath day, like Saul. And so Jesus, he says, and he was saying to them, the Sabbath was made for man and not for the Sabbath. Consequently, the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Jesus continues to stress this point of God's intention for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man. Man was not made for the Sabbath. So why such strict restrictions? See, the Sabbath wasn't meant to be a stranglehold upon the people as a means of practicing self-righteousness. And so many times people kind of abuse and misuse and flout out and neglect the beautiful gifts of God. God gave this beautiful gift a day of rest for people. And man became, turned it into a tradition that was so restrictive. And it was just another means of practicing self-righteousness. So Jesus says, Consequently, the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Now if you notice, this is the second reference to Jesus as the Son of Man. What was the first time? A couple cha- last chapter ago. Jesus declares the Son of Man has the authority to what? Forgive sins, right? He says even as the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins. And here Jesus declares the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Jesus has authority even of the Sabbath. Now why is this kind of interesting? There's an interesting story in Numbers chapter 15, verse 32. There was a man on the Sabbath day. He was caught collecting wood. An obvious violation. It's laborious work. And he's collecting wood potentially to kindle a fire. So this man was apprehended and was detained. And they had to figure out, what do we do with this man? 
So the Lord spoke to Moses and declared that man shall be surely put to death. Now, why is this significant? God determined the judgment on this man who disobeyed the Sabbath. Why is this important? This adds to the significance Jesus is claiming. He said, the Son of Man is even the Lord of the Sabbath. I see this as Jesus declares his authority to permit his disciples, if they were picking the heads, the grain, he has authority to say, you know what? The kind act are hungry, they can pick up the grains of wheat. See, the perception of what is unlawful blinded the Pharisees from seeing just a simple act of kindness. And this blindness we're going to see later in this chapter, chapter 3, verse 1. It goes on. And he entered again into the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they were watching him to see if he would heal on the Sabbath in order that they might accuse him. So Jesus walks into the synagogue, and there's peering eyes watching him. Have you ever walked into a situation and you could just feel eyes on you? They're watching to see if you're doing what you're going to do. Literally, they're seeing with suspicion. What is Jesus going to do? Here's this man with a withered hand. I don't know what his hand looked like. Maybe it looked like this. Is Jesus going to do work and heal this man? Or is he going to let him be because it's the Sabbath? What happens? Verse 3. And he said to the man with the withered hand, rise and come forward. And he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? To save a life or to kill? But they kept silent. I love what happens. See, remember in the previous, you know, in in verse 1, they're all looking at Jesus. What's he going to do? But see, we can't trick Jesus. Right? We got to learn this. We cannot trick Jesus. And he responds by asking them a question, a question that turns the table on them. Because they debated this for, for, for years. Is it okay to do good on the Sabbath, even if it requires work? So Jesus calls the man to come forward. And notice Jesus doesn't do any work. He doesn't break the law. He asks, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? To save a life or to kill? In other words, what's better? If I do work and do something good? Or if I do nothing and harm somebody? And what did their response was? They kept silent. They were trapped. Their hearts were so hardened. Look at what's verse 5. And after looking around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and the hand was restored. We started this chapter. All eyes were on Jesus, scrutinizing him. What's he going to do? What do we see in verse 5? Now Jesus is looking around at them. He's looking at everybody. And all he does, his soul is stirred. NASB says, with anger. What would cause Jesus to be angry? It says, anger 
at their, and he was grieved at their hardness of heart. What does that mean? It's like calloused. It was so hard and lose sensitivity. Their hearts have been so hardened that they've lost all sense of sensitivity of what is right and good. And it was grieving to Jesus. See, all this practice of self-righteousness, it hardened their hearts to be able to just see the obvious kind gesture. Jesus doesn't admonish them. He simply commands the man to stretch out his hand. And what happens? His hand is restored. And notice again, Jesus healed him without doing any work. They couldn't accuse Jesus of doing any work. All he said was, stretch out your hand. Get it, come, come closer. Stretch out your hand. And it was healed. So how would they respond? And the Pharisees went out and immediately began taking counsel with the Herodians against him as to how they might destroy him. That's how hardened their hearts were. The Herodians, they were aligned with the Herodian dynasty. They were this group of people. They were in agreement theologically with the Sadducees, but politically they were the opposite of the Pharisees. So you have these two groups of people who did not see eye to eye. Think about political terms today. You have the extreme right and the extreme left. They can't agree about anything, right? They can't agree about a thing. But what can bring two groups of opposing groups together? A common enemy, right? And here we have these two opposing groups. And one thing they have in common, they need to destroy Jesus. On what grounds? They were threatened by him. But there's the condition of the hardness of heart. So many years and years of rules and traditions and self-righteousness, and it ended up hardening their hearts. What do we get from this story? What I want us to kind of marinate on and think about this story that we see here. The first thing, Lord over traditions. When you think about Christianity, do you think about all their traditions and neglect the Lord. Because Christianity is less about the rules and traditions, this misconception, and it's more about honoring the Lord with your life. We can't make the mistake of, of holding on traditions because that's what we've always done as Christians and lose the sense of meaning and focus. It's kind of funny. I, I watched a video actually this morning about you know, which day did Jesus actually get crucified? Was it Friday? Was it Thursday? Or was it Wednesday? Some of you may be thinking, wait, that's a thing? <laughs> that's really a debatable thing? We're having Good Friday service. I thought it was always Friday. Well, there, there's some discussion that could be made. Was it on Friday, Thursday, or Wednesday? But tradition. We get held up on tradition. Wait, did, was Jesus born on the 25th? Because if he wasn't, there goes my faith. Or we think so, so much about tradition that we lose the sense of meaning that we need to realize 
Christianity, our, our walk with the Lord, it's more about the Lord, honoring the Lord with our life than the traditions that we've always been taught. Now, does this mean we don't need to have any rules? Some people want to be thinking, please let that be the case. Rules are out the window, right? No, no. But as believers in Christ, we're not governed by the rules, but we are governed by the Holy Spirit. But rules help keep us in right standing with God. Why did God have to have the laws? Because those laws tried to help keep the people in line with God, in relationship with God, to keep them from wandering away, to keep them from sinning. That's why we have rules. We have rules when we drive, because if you drive too fast, you're going to kill somebody. You're going to hurt somebody. Right? Those are the reasons why we have rules. Parents... You establish rules, right? You have an expected standard of behavior. It's important that we have rules. We value those things. You don't want your kids running off into the street and getting hit. But as they get older, what happens to those rules? Those rules can expand. They cover different areas. But the goal of parenting is what? That they will make decisions on their own that they'll desire to do what's right, and they don't need your rules to tell them what to do. That's the goal of parenting, right? You establish rules to help teach them and train them to make decisions that is honoring to God so that when they get old enough, they're no longer under your rules, that they will make those decisions that's honored to God, and they don't need your rules to do it, right? That's the goal of parenting. But see, as Christians, we are governed by what? The Holy Spirit. So that in our life, we're not being obedient to God because these are the rules that you're supposed to do, but because the Holy Spirit is leading us and changing us and saying, this is what we want to do. This is what's honoring to God. Not because he made rules, but because we want to honor God with our life. The Spirit is leading us to make decisions that is honoring to Him. Rules don't harden hearts, but rules often tend to reveal the tendency of our hearts, and we, try to t- we tend to go away from God, right? That's why He has a Spirit in us to say, look, make good decisions. Make decisions that's going to honor God. You don't need to have your pastor to tell you this is wrong. You don't need to have your parents to tell you this is wrong, don't do this, do that, but that your desire is going to be, God, I want to honor you. I remember why you told the Israelites not to do these things, so that I can stay in fellowship, stay in relationship with you. The third thing I would say in this passage that we see is honor the Sabbath as a gift from God. Whatever that Sabbath day may be for you, set a day aside as a day of rest for God. Now, I am guilty of this. I have to practice this. That we would say, God, I want to rest from the work that we have. And in my time of rest, I want to also remember, God, your provision, your deliverance, and your relationship with me. 
This is a challenge for us in Southgate. How do you feel like this is going to be a challenge? You think of your work schedule, and it's like, how am I going to have a whole day of rest? Isn't it great that we're not governed by rules? Right? There's no rule that says you have to have 24 hours of rest, no work. Right? That's not what it's about. But do your best to set some time of rest and reflection and honor God. And I am going to be the first one to say I am guilty of this. But we need to. And it's God's gift to us. Teach this to our kids. Don't fill their schedules so much. They don't know what it means to rest. And they don't know what it means to give time to God. Praise God that Christianity isn't about rules. It isn't just about traditions. But it's that reminder that God is in relationship with us and wants to keep us in relationship with him. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Lord God, we come before you. We thank you so much of what you've done for us, with us, in us, through us. Lord, I pray that as we go about our day, may we take time to remember you, think of you, and appreciate your goodness and your mercies in our life. We give this time to you, Lord, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.